today on Ag News Daily. You know, in our commodity view software, you can view the grain indexes there in our really cool uh, interactive heat maps. Uh, you can layer, you can then layer in uh, other elements. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, and I am joined by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? Pretty good, Mike. How about you? You know, I'm not too shabby, not too shabby at all. We've got a nice little little rebound here mm-hmm. in the soybean markets mm-hmm. going on today. The wheat market is also rebounding in the opposite direction. We've got news. We've got all sorts of things happening for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday edition of the podcast. That's right. Well, we definitely haven't seen soybeans pick back up all of their losses from yesterday, but I'm actually surprised that we finished higher on the day because President Trump said either yesterday or today that he thinks it's, quote, highly unlikely that the U.S. will, um, well, I guess this is good news. He said it's highly unlikely that we'll avoid ratcheting up tariffs, but also unlikely that we'll see a deal come to fruition on uh, this weekend during the G20 summit. Okay, so it's not likely we'll put on more tariffs. It's also not likely we'll get a deal. Things will stay the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that explains a 13 cent move in soybeans. It's not really supportive, but it's not really, you know, detrimental, I suppose, either. Yeah. And so we're almost back to where we started the week off. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, what other news do you have for us, Delaney? We'll get into the markets here in just a little bit, listeners, so stay tuned. Um, Okay. So actually, since we're talking about trade, Mike, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but... Louisiana Republican um, Ralph Abraham, who's a representative, introduced a new bill, I believe just yesterday, that would allow some soybean farmers to qualify for USDA trade assistance payments based on their planted acres as opposed to harvested acres. His reasoning for this was basically that Louisiana soybean farmers um, have been facing some unfair market problems because all of the Midwest farmers are sending their crops down south and they're getting stored now in elevators in the south like Louisiana as opposed to being shipped out for export. And it's causing a lot of hardship for farmers down there. Um, and that's kind of my take on it at this point in time. Well, you know, that comes back to the article I talked about last week where there was a Louisiana grower plowing under mm-hmm. 700 of his soybean acres because right. he just didn't have a market. So that makes sense. But at the same time, I, you know, I don't know how you're going to justify that as a government program when you've got acres that were mm-hmm. hit by hail and, you know, you name it, other weather well, events. You're still going to get paid on them? I, I don't yeah. know. I know the I, question. I feel like too, that's got an uphill uphill climb to get past. Part of the question too is like, well, if you don't so it's not on harvested acres, so it's just on planted acres. So it's like, well, if you didn't harvest, wouldn't you get crop insurance money from that anyways, if it was because of bad weather that you didn't harvest or, you know, bad quality? Well, and I think that's why he's coming back to like those growers who had to plow it under. Oh, because you, know, you wouldn't get crop insurance if you plowed it under? No, no, huh? Do you, okay, so I obviously am not 100% up to date on crop insurance. I don't really understand fully how it works. Do you get crop insurance money if you don't harvest? 
Like, do you have to harvest to receive crop insurance? Well, it depends. So crop insurance, depending on the program you choose, and I don't know what's available in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, so those guys might be facing unique challenges compared to what we're used to here in the Corn Belt. Um, but crop insurance, if you don't, yeah, you can't just go in and plow up your crop and then get paid. Okay. Yep. You would, if you had a revenue policy, get paid on that if you harvested and then, you know, your price times bushels was less than the revenue guarantee, you'd get mm -hmm. paid. But I think then it would only happen if you harvest. You couldn't just take a zero into your crop insurance office and say, hey, yeah, I just plowed them under. I oh, got zero. Okay. I don't think they'd let that fly. But okay. crop insurance sellers, I know we've got some of you who listen. Uh, chime in. Find us on Facebook or, or Twitter at Ag News Daily and let us know, especially if you work with growers who are outside the Corn Belt region. We'd love to talk to you and uh, pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of things from outside the Corn Belt region that could definitely have an impact on farm programs going forward, it sounds like, Delaney, we've got a hitch in the farm bill. Did you see yes, this? I did. Yes, apparently uh, Debbie Stabenow and uh, and Colin Peterson and all the rest said they were very close to finishing a new farm bill, but last-minute demands from House Republicans and the White House mm -hmm. to make changes to forestry policy mm -hmm. in light of the California wildfires could, quote, bring down the bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was or... really surprising. Chris Clayton did, or excuse me, Jerry Hagstrom did some great reporting on this for DTN, and uh, gets into some detail on it. But Delaney, what were you going to say there? Well, I was going to say either, it'll either push the bill forward or bring the bill down. It sounds like that's really kind of the last thing holding it up. And um, Senator, Robert, Senator Roberts said that if we get this last piece taken care of, it sounds like the farm bill is going to move right along, go to a vote, hopefully get passed, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And it sounds like the reason that this forestry issue is kind of catching people's attention. Basically, Ryan Zinke and Secretary Sonny Perdue got on a phone call and they said they want to use the farm bill to put language into place that would allow, it sounds like, the feds to partner up with local governments and tribes mm -hmm. to manage this forest ground more aggressively. And their thought is, you know, let's get some of these trees out of here. Let's bring some logging back into play, uh, you know, reduce some of the fire risk that's present. But it's really being pushed by President Trump. And, of course, the Democrats in the House and in the Senate just don't really want to agree to anything President Trump is promoting. And it sounds like that's why this thing is facing some headway. Oh, OK. That's that's. That's my reading that's of the That's your speculation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's stupid, so, but whatever. Well, it's politics. Delighting. Bipartisanship for you or non-bipartisanship, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's politics. It's D.C. I know. The swamp. And this also, to my mind, puts up a pretty convenient excuse if a farm bill doesn't get done. They get to blame mm -hmm. President Trump for throwing mm -hmm. these things in. Mm-hmm. Well, I have some other news as related to legislation in D.C. Okay, I'm going to try and talk through this the best that I understand because sometimes we get in the weeds when we're talking about, well, at least I do, when we're talking about um, biodiesel and the RFS and uh, ethanol. So here's what I can tell you. Here's what I know for a fact. We're expecting to see um, basically the new blending biofuel quotas come out Friday. 
the Trump administration is set to order refiners to use 15 billion gallons of conventional renewable fuels, such as ethanol, next year for 2018, which um, would not lower, which is what the oil industry is obviously trying to get done. Also, what we know so far is that 15 refineries have already applied for relief from the 2018 quotas for those um, hardship waivers or small refinery waivers, as we like to call them. And House Republicans are now proposing to revive the expired dollar a gallon tax credit for biodiesel, um, but it would gradually phase out after 2021. So a year end tax package released by the House Ways and Means Committee Monday night would lower the tax subsidy to 75 cents a gallon starting in 2022, 50 cents in 2023, and 33 cents in 2024, and then the credit would be eliminated completely in 20 after 2024. Um, and so that dollar per gallon tax credit would be for second-generation biofuels like ethanol, biodiesel, etc., and would be a separate tax benefit for biofuel pumps, which would be extended only for 2018. Does all that make sense? Yeah, Did I think so. So okay. 15, 15 million gallons of mm -hmm. conventional ethanol, which is right in line with the mm -hmm. RFS2 law, yeah. so there's no big shock there. Nope. Um, we don't really have any new insight on what to make of cellulosic biofuel, mm -hmm. it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to give us a dollar per gallon tax credit for biodiesel producing or blending uh, it doesn't say that's okay. the part i'm confused about probably producing i would think i don't think so too okay all right and then some money for pumps to get out there and distribute mm -hmm. the stuff mm -hmm. but okay. the biodiesel tax credit would slowly pull back so i guess it's a good and a bad because it incentivizes people to use it or make it now but long term I don't know, and I think the um, there are quite a few people on the you know renewable fuels side of things that were a little upset by this, of course. That it's, it's going to phase sure. out, right? I mean, well, but I they don't have it now. Is, I feel like it'd be a win to just get something back. Yeah, and I think maybe part of the thought is like, okay, well, if we incentivize it now, people will see the benefits of using it, yeah, and eventually just use it as a source, anyways. And that worked for corn ethanol. We had, right. uh, I forget the, the amount, but a credit per gallon produced or per gallon blended. We phased that away. And now, hey, corn ethanol is 15 million gallons a year, billion gallons mm -hmm. a year or whatever. Boom. Right. So, hmm. well, you say Friday. We're supposed to get those. Yes. All right. Well, we will probably have some more news as these negotiations come to a close by the end of the week. And Delaney, speaking of negotiations coming to a close by the end of the week, the U.S. MCA NAFTA 2.0 is know. expected to be signed at some point in Buenos Aires later this week. However, I shared that yesterday, Mike. I know. Way to listen. All right. I, I'm adding to it. Oh, okay. Delaney, <laughs> is the agreement ready to be signed? I don't know. Is it? No, it isn't. Way to know your facts. Actually, as I of right now. I was testing you, actually. Okay. As of right now, what are we still negotiating on? Uh, I don't know. Probably something related to the dairy industry. You are exactly right. The dairy industry continues to be a hang-up. There was a Canadian source who said the government, quote, was sure dairy and other issues could be ironed out by the end of the week, but 
that is not guaranteed. Uh, these negotiations are still going on. We don't have a whole lot of details. This is all coming from unnamed sources involved in the negotiating, negotiating process. But they say that the Canadian government is pushing back against U.S. demands for more information about the dairy supply management system and how it operates. Um, hmm. Basically, they're, from the U.S. perspective, stonewalling on uh, what comprises the dairy supply management program. And uh, unless this is done, we won't be signing any USMCA at the end of the week. Or I, I guess they'd have to cut dairy out of it completely. Mm-hmm. But I don't or see that being very likely put in, since like, President Trump has made such a big yeah. deal about the dairy tariffs. Put in some sort of clause that says, like, to be decided or <laughs> to be re-examined. I don't know. Like, yeah. Please don't scrap the whole thing for that one piece. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. Things aren't done until they're done. That's true. Well, yeah. Mike, have you put up your Christmas tree yet? Or do you get a real Christmas tree or do you use a fake Christmas tree? I'll, I've always had a real one. Last mm-hmm. year, we broke down and bought a fake one. And no, okay. it is not up because it is not yet December. It is not yet the holiday season. It well, is just past Thanksgiving. People setting well. up holiday Christmas decorations right now are insane. And <laughs> frankly, that is that is too much. Wait until you December are, 1st. Okay, well, I didn't know that the Grinch was also hosting the podcast with us today. Yes. <laughs> um, I have the Christmas spirit all year round. I dislike people <laughs> who just bring it out in December and then make a big show of it. Shenanigans and a pox on your house, I say. Bah humbug. Yeah, bah humbug to you. Well, if you're planning to get a real Christmas tree this year, um, you might be at a loss because we're in a downtrend right now or a downtime and a shortage of Christmas tree farmers and also Christmas trees in general. A lot of farmers say that it's a really hard crop rotation because it basically takes 10 years to get it to, you know, a Christmas tree size and labor is a problem. So a lot of Christmas tree farmers or in Christmas tree farms have been switching over to planting crops like hops, grapes, hazelnuts. So, yeah, if you want a Christmas tree this year, you might be out of luck or you might be having to get one that should have been taken last year. I have a solution, Delaney, because I'm a problem solver. What, what's My solution is roadside ditches, pastures, oh, and no. CRP ground across southern Iowa are littered with scrub cedar trees. Folks, they would make a fantastic Christmas tree. You That's decorate a... them all up, and I'm sure farmers would love to have them out of the field. And I personally would love to see them out of the roadside ditches. Cedar and mulberry trees, Delaney, they are that... my third and fourth greatest nemeses after deer <laughs> And sharks. Um, that just reminds me of the National Lampoon's vacation when they like go way out in the woods and then cut down that tree and then the what is it, state patrol or state forestry or whatever come and say, Um, you're not really actually supposed to take that tree. Remember he gets like zapped by the telephone yeah. pole and contact the farmer first before you go tromping out there. But I think if they're in the roadside ditch, I think they're kinda of free game. All right. You could have a little Charlie Brown looking Christmas tree this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're ugly, ugly, god-awful <laughs> trees. Chop them all down. Burn them. I don't care. Uh, okay, well, on that note, uh, the Grinch, would you like yes. to take it away with the markets? 
I certainly would, Delaney. And folks, our markets are brought to us by the non-grinchy folks over at the Zaner Group. These are friendly people who can help you put a marketing plan in place for your 2019 growing season. Give them a shout, 312-277-0050, or visit them on the web at zaner.com. We've got mixed trade in the grain markets today as we take a look. Jumping into the corn market right off the bat, December contract up half a cent at 356 and a half. The March also up a half at 368 and a half. Soybeans, as we mentioned, had a little bit of a rally on the day. The January contract was up 13 and a quarter cents at 875 and a half. The March up 13 to close at 889 and a quarter. And wheat moved to the downside. Chicago wheat December contract down nine and a half cents at 498 even. The March down seven and a half to close at 506 and a half. Looking over to the world of livestock here real quick. We've got a down day in the cattle complex. December live cattle off 22.5 cents at 116.70. The February down a nickel, closed at 120.60. In feeder cattle, the January contract was off 72.5 cents at 148.42.50, while the March was down 15 cents to close at 146 even. Mixed trade in lean hogs with the December up 47.5 at 57.87.50. The February down 50 cents to close at 65. And, of course, we've got to take a look at the dairy market. We've got mixed trade in dairy with the November contract coming to an end here very shortly. It was up a penny on the day at 14.49. The December down a nickel to close at 14.04. Without further ado, let's take it over to Keith Peterson from Bar Chart to learn a little bit about a neat product they've got coming out. Well, folks, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion, we are talking to Keith Peterson. He is the head of strategy for Bar Chart, and he has been working on a very cool product, one that I have been dinking around with for the past couple mm-hmm. days. It's called Commodity by Bar Chart. Keith, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now, give us the 10,000-foot view. Commodity by Bar Chart, what are you guys putting together? Yeah, sure. So uh, with Commodity by Bar Chart, what we're trying to do is become the source of pricing for the ag uh, industry. Uh, we're doing that in a number of different ways, but essentially making um, benchmarks for grain uh, information domestically, um, putting that into software that um, grain buyers and grain merchandisers can use to uh, purchase grain from, from their producers or distribute their prices out to the, those end users, um, and, and really just trying to make their workflows as easy as possible. Keith, break it down for me. Okay, we're talking about pricing for grain buyers and grain purchasers. It sounds maybe more so like it's geared towards end users or people that are using it for end usage. Yeah, so uh, our grain prices are used by a number of people in the value chain, Uh, not only just uh, people in the ag community, but hedge funds and Mm. and, uh, users of alternative data products. Uh, like to look at uh, physical grain prices as a leading indicator for futures markets. Um, so we do quite a bit of business uh, with those folks in that community. Uh, but then additionally, uh, our grain merchandisers that use our grain prices like to keep tabs on what their competitors are doing. Uh, they like to use that for, you know, just intelligence in terms of where they want to price their, their, um, their bids. Um, and then we help uh, distribute that out to all the, the producers, right? And that can be direct to them through a piece of software that we control or through integration with third-party software, um, like a farm logs or something like that. 
Now, Keith, this is really cool. And when we think about how the ag industry continues to grow, continues to pull in money from outside the traditional ag sector, you know, it really seems like that's what you're working on here. It, it used to be I'd have to call my elevator or call the local bidders to get their cash bids. You've compiled a way for it to get sent straight to me. Yeah, and that's that's a really great point. Uh, my background, uh, you know, before I was at Bar Chart, was at CME Group. And they are really focused on electronification of markets and coming up with a benchmark price and, and driving people towards price discovery, um, which inherently leads to electronification. So uh, I think we're seeing that sort of trend in, in ag markets where, you know, historically it's been you call your local elevator, maybe even drive up there. Uh, you talk for 30 minutes and you, you agree on a price. Um, <laughs> right. You get your market, coffee and <laughs> get the price. Yeah. You just kind of hang out and, and, and talk about the weather. Um, and not to say that that's, that's not going to continue uh, taking place, but every other market that I've been involved in, uh, equities, uh, Forex, fixed income, they're all really driving towards electronification. So it's only a matter of time before uh, ag goes the same route. Um, I do see a lot of parallels in where the Forex market was you know, 10 years ago to where the ag market is today. Uh, so I, I think that's exactly where it's going. And, and that's why on top of just having the uh, the raw grain bid prices, which we, you know, we, we already talked about. We have a series of uh, indexes for, for grain that essentially give people, um, you know, benchmark pricing for, for national grain. So when you say electronification and you mentioned farm logs is one of the platforms that folks can use to disperse this information. How else are you um, using either your own systems or other people's applications to get this information out to folks? Can you tell me, I guess, more so in like real time application, how it works? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So our uh, our flagship uh, piece of software is called Commodity View. It's a best-in-class uh, software product that grain merchandisers uh, and other grain buyers can can have on on their desktop. And you can see, you know, local grain prices there. You can see our commodity indexes, our, our grain indexes, um, alongside all of your futures uh, that you deal with. Um, so you know that that's that's one way that you know the grain merchandisers are getting that data in front of them. Um, they can then use that same software to interact with uh, all of their different producers. We have uh, we have software tools uh, that you know sit on the desktop and, and the mobile device of the, the farmer, uh, and they can communicate electronically via instant messenger or um, you know even outside of our ecosystem. But the point being, the we have an electronic handshake that takes place between you know our own pieces of software, Commodity View, uh, and and then also third parties. Um, that, that are kind of integrated into our ecosystem. Now, it's it's really fun. Like right now, you guys have uh, some of the index data available for folks to play around with, and I was goofing around with that a little bit earlier. I mean, you've got cash grain bids, it looks like, for nearly every county if, if folks want to get in there and, and monkey around and take a look at it. When you talk about the indices that you're building – what sort of things are you looking to monitor? What uh, what records will folks be able to get their hands on in the future? Yeah, sure. So, you know, our indexes are built on our, our grain bid data, which we feel is best in class. Um, we have you know, coverage of uh, close to 4,000 locations. Uh, we also have event-driven updates because we actually manage the bids on behalf of the grain buyers. Uh, so when they change the basis, that's uh, instantly reflected in the price that we distribute out. So, the indexes benefit from having that, that great data. Um, the indexes update whenever the basis, uh, the, the raw bid basis updates, uh, and, and that gets, you know, distributed out to our end users. Uh, so what we're, what we're trying to do there is come up with, um, you know, transparent, uh, you know, third party pricing that's objective, 
uh, that you know users can use to mark their uh, their inventory to market. Uh, they can use as a benchmark for different contracts. Say, you know, I'm agreeing to buy grain from you three months from now. Uh, we can agree to a price based on our indexes, and that way you know that it represents a fair market price. Nice. Uh, I, I do want to ask you a quick question while we're talking indexes here. Your Crop Plus Growing Conditions Index. Now, I, I haven't I haven't done much with it. I've just basically read about it on your website. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, sure. Uh, that index is uh, meant to be a companion to all of our grain indexes. So, you know, in our Commodity View software, you can view the grain indexes there in our really cool uh, interactive heat maps. Uh, you can layer. You can then layer in. Uh, other elements. So the Crop Plus indexes aren't actually launching until 2019, uh, but that'll be in the first couple months of 2019. They are uh, essentially growing condition indices that are based on 100 degrees, uh, 100 years of uh, historical data, where we've essentially created a standard deviation of growing conditions that include soil moisture and uh, atmospheric uh, temperature um, that, that let, you know, producers know and, and also grain buyers know um, exactly, you know, how crops sh should be progressing at this point, uh, given the conditions. So the idea is I can check out the, during the growing season, for example, check out the, the Crop Plus Index, see where things should be, look at my field or my customers' fields, and, and then compare to that as a benchmark. That's the idea? Yeah, yeah, I'm, exactly. It, it's meant to be an indicator that you can you can drill down to county level. Um, say, you know, I should be producing this much yield, uh, or I should be, my crops should be progressing this far based on what the you know growing conditions are. And if they're not, maybe that means I need to apply more fertilizer. Maybe it means I, I need to do something different, right? Uh, so it, it's really meant to be an analytics tool uh, that people can use to uh, you know evaluate. Where, where their crops are, uh, while also using the pricing information that we make available through our indexes and, and the raw grain bids. Keith, this might be maybe a silly question or maybe an obvious answer, but how are you guys going back and compiling all the data for either the crop plus indices or local price indices? I mean, how are you finding all of that information going back 100 years or however how far back How many interns going? do you yeah. have to get through this stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We, we've got we've got quite a few. Um, the, the, growing <laughs> the growing conditions information uh, uses reports from like the drought monitor, okay. uh, for example. Uh, so we have historical information on that, and there's also some other uh, data sources that we compile and, and pull into that. Um, so you know the great thing about uh, NOAA and, and drought monitor and all these these different you know weather applications and, and tools is that there's like this wealth of historical information uh, that we combine with some of the proprietary data that we have and we can come up with this this really long observation period where we can come up with what's you know statistically significant. Um, yeah, I, I think that answers the question. Yeah, huh. I think so too. So, what about the Commodity View platform? Walk us through what that is. Would I use it as a producer or a grain buyer or a marketer? Yeah, so you know the the Commodity View application is uh, we launched it uh, about two months ago. It's uh, doing really really well. Uh, so we you know we have a large community of customers in the the grain elevator and grain buying space. Uh, they've historically used our bar chart trader. Uh, front end that allows them chart, you know, do charting, trade futures, and uh, do things of that nature. Um, the Commodity View uh, tool is really a, a jam-packed, um, you know, front end platform that 
competes with DTM Profit X mm-hmm. and, you know, to a certain extent, the Reuters and Bloomberg's of the world. So, uh, you know, we, we're packing uh, a ton of data and analytics into it that wasn't available in Bar Chart Trader. It's really targeted at grain buyers and, uh, ag- and agribusinesses. Um, so all the data that you see on the website, the indexes, the grain bids, um, the commodity fundamental data, which is our commodity stats product, which is you know, USDA data, it has uh, non-farm payroll data, it has basically all the, the major uh, bureaus in the U.S. that have, um, you know, just information on, on the economy. It's all in there, right? So we've created and curated this, this awesome platform that has all the content that anybody that's in agribusiness would ever want. So is Bar Chart Trader going to go away eventually and everybody will move to Commodity View or are they going to be two separate systems? Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we're going to be offering in 2019 uh, the opportunity for certain bar chart trader users uh, that are particularly focused on ag to, um, you know, move over to the new platform. Uh, we continue to support bar chart trader. We we love bar chart trader. Our customers love it, um, and we will continue to support it for the foreseeable future. Um, but you know, definitely, it, it makes sense if you're an agribusiness uh, and a heavy ag user that you would move over to commodity view. Keith, it sounds like you guys have a lot of great platforms going on, a lot of stuff that's launching here in 2018, 2019. What else do you see long-term as a need for some sort of records or something related to buying or selling commodities that needs to be yeah. electronified? Yeah, sure. So um, that, that that is a fantastic question because – uh, we are working on integration with many third-party uh, accounting providers for, for grain. Um, so essentially right now, a lot of times, you know, a grain buyer uh, interacts with their producer and they, they record that in one piece of software and then they need to take that transaction and then move it into their accounting platform. Well, the, the cool thing about Commodity View, and this feature will be integrated in Q1, is essentially you'll be able to conduct all that business right in your Commodity View front end. Uh, where our, you know, grain offer system, or we're calling it commodity match, will be fully integrated into there. And then every trade that you uh, negotiate with your producer flows immediately through to your accounting platform. Uh, so it's 100% straight through process, and we think features like that will get folks to adopt electronification just because it's going to be so much easier than what they do today. Wow. Keith Peterson with Bar Chart. This is really cool. If we've got listeners who are green buyers, they're elevator managers, they want to get their hands into some of this stuff and try it, who should they be in touch with? How can they get some more information? Yeah, so they can reach out to uh, info at commodity data. That's uh, I-N-F-O at C-M-D-T-Y data dot com. Uh, those will route through to our sales and support staff, and then we'll be able to direct, to direct that inquiry to the, the best um, user on our end. Outstanding. Well, hey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us and to explain the the cool stuff you guys are cooking up over there in your labs. Yeah, I really appreciate the time. It's it's great to be on, and I, I would love to come back anytime. Wow. Well, that is certainly some interesting, innovative, and advanced stuff that they're doing over there at Bar Chart, Mike. It is. It is. It's really cool to to see. Well, you know, like you was talking about the electronification, and you talked about there at the end, Delaney. There is so much ag data that is sitting mm-hmm. in filing cabinets at county mm-hmm. elevators. The ability to get that online and to mine it for useful information yeah, that's going to be a huge step forward for our industry. I think long term. Is that our next business pursuit, Mike? You know, I do like going through old records. So I studied history. <laughs> Oh, that's true. That'd be a perfect, uh, perfect project for you. Yeah. No people, just me and a yeah. laptop typing in numbers. There you go.
We just well, found next career. Yes, it's always good to have a backup just in case. <laughs> in case podcasting doesn't work out for you. Exactly. But folks, it has worked out this far. And if you want to get caught up on any of our past episodes, you can check out at our new website, our home at the Global Ag Network. We encourage all of you to go to globalagnetwork.com. Check it out. Check out our fellow podcasters, whether you're interested in machinery or country life or uh, cattle. Agronomy, yeah. Agronomy. we got folks that can talk about it right there on the network, and you can find all of our past podcasts there as well. Or, of course, Delaney, if they're a social media person, where can they find us on the Twitters or the Facebook? <laughs> well, you can find us at Ag News Daily on Twitter and Facebook, or you can interact with the Global Ag Network by searching for at Global Ag Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it. We're probably on it. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.